Section 18 of The Outline of Science, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle. The Outline of Science, Volume 2, by J. Arthur Thompson. Chapter 14 Natural History, Part 3 The Insect World insects almost ubiquitous the immense and varied group of insects constitutes by far the largest class in the animal kingdom it numbers as many as two hundred thousand named species the majority of which are predominantly active types such a wealth of forms the species in a single family of insects may outnumber the stars one can count on a clear night shows that as a class insects are extraordinarily successful many reasons are given for this dominance all pointing to the striking fact that insects by means of manifold adaptations are able to fill many niches and so attain a wide distribution few haunts are destitute of insect life butterflies and mosquitoes are known to penetrate to extreme arctic regions a small kind of butterfly is found in ecuador at an elevation of sixteen thousand five hundred feet insects inhabit desert tracts far out of reach of water and limestone caverns have their cave dwellers often pale and blind unless their descent to this unusual haunt has been comparatively recent many forms live in fresh water even hot springs have their insects and some beetles for instance are found on the tidal zone of the seashore the actual sea seems very unsuitable for insect life and yet there is a family of skimmers which run about on the surface of the open ocean and even dive when it is stormy the success of insects insects are typically winged creatures and their power of flight extends their range given the opportunity to colonize new areas and to migrate to fresh localities in times of stress their bodies are extremely well adapted from the mechanical point of view their sense organs are highly developed sensitive feelers compound eyes and so on and their mouth parts are remarkably adapted to suit different modes of feeding probably much of their success in the struggle for existence is due to the adaptations of their circulatory and respiratory systems which enable the nutrition of the organs of the body to go on with great rapidity the tissues are continually bathed in nutritive fluid while every part of the body is kept aerated by the extensive system of air tubes these facts account for the abundant energy and consequent activity which is so characteristic of the class it may be doubted if the insect's blood ever becomes impure another factor tending towards the success is the change of habit due to the change of form which occurs during the course of many life histories this implies changes in diet and therefore a lessening of the drain on a particular foodstuff in other ways also the changes of form and habit may lead to survival in the struggle for life there is frequently a tiding over of difficult times for instance quiescence during periods when conditions of temperature and food are unfavorable many insects pass the winter in a lethargic state inside well-protected cocoons protective adaptations another factor which helps to give success to insects in maintaining their hold in various habitats is the way in which general form and color are adapted to the environment protective coloring in animals has formed the subject of a special article but it may be noted that there are no clearer instances of protective resemblance than among insects not only do they very often closely resemble the general color of their natural surroundings 
but form as well as color may add still more to the similarity which gives security to the insect by concealing it effectively from its enemies we can thoroughly understand the wonder of this protective resemblance only when we study it under natural conditions many very gaudy butterflies can hardly be distinguished from flowers when they alight on plants many moths in their resting position hide the bright colors of the hind pair of wings with the duller forewings which may nearly resemble lichen or the bark of trees the coloration may afford an effective protection in other ways by warning and by mimicry some insects such as the wasp or the ladybird beetle positively court attention with their vivid coloring and markings they are colored not to be hidden but to be seen such insects always have some other form of protection a sting or an unpleasant taste which their enemies come to associate with their striking hues and therefore avoid no doubt conspicuous individuals will be snapped at and killed by birds and other enemies are experimenting but the enemies learn by experience and the species with the warning colors gradually attain a position of security section one pedigree the pedigree of insects is obscure they belong to the large group of joint-legged arthropods which shows numerous affinities with the ringed worms or annelids but also many advances such as a greater development of appendages in peripatus and its allies which are widely distributed over the world worm-like velvet-skinned little creatures shy and nocturnal in habit we find living links between annelids and insects in their excretory tubes muscular arrangement and hollow appendages they strongly suggest the ringed worm type but they combine with these and other annelid features distinct indications of arthropod characters such as the system of breathing tubes and the appendages in the surface of the mouth which reach further development in the class of insects general characters of insects insects peripatus centipedes and millipedes have a common respiratory system consisting of tubular trachea which marks them off from the gill-breathing arthropods crustaceans and sensitive feelers which distinguish them from the spider and scorpion group arachnids in the class of insects the body of the adult state is divided into three main regions one the head two the thorax or forebody three the abdomen or hind body the outer covering of most insects is hard and firm composed of non-living cuticle made of chitin a somewhat horn-like substance secreted by the underlying living skin the chitinous plates which make protective armor are firmly fused in the head region but in the thorax and in the abdominal part the different rings are joined by flexible areas permitting more freedom of movement thus the segmented architecture of the body is more clearly seen in the thorax and abdomen than in the head region where fusion has obliterated the boundaries of successive segments of the body in rapidly flying insects there is often a fusion of thorax rings to form a firm basis for the action of the wings it must be clearly understood that in the insect's body the muscles are inside the skeleton whereas in ourselves the skeleton is covered by the muscles the two plans of architecture are utterly different the insect's head the insect's head which bears one pair of feelers or antennae and usually three pairs of jaws is relatively small firm and compact separated from the thorax by a narrow membranous neck allowing freedom of movement one sees this very well on the common house fly all adult insects except some primitive and some degenerate species have a pair of compound eyes those simple eyes may be present also 
the compound eyes project on each side of the head as convex immovable structures there is only one pair though each eye may be partially divided as in some of the aquatic whirligig beetles in which half of the eye is directed up to keep a lookout for danger from above while the other half is scanning the water below in search of prey the compound eye consists of a great many similar parts each a complete organ of vision but requiring the surrounding elements to form the whole image each of the many elements of the eye makes a small image so that the whole image is a mosaic of separate contributions which combine in a unified visual impression conveyed to the brain for the amorous insect does not see one thousand desired mates one through each of its eye elements the question is not an easy one but it should be noticed that in some cases example fireflies the eye elements no longer act separately but a single combined image is thrown on the back of the eye the antennae are appendages set in sockets on the crown of the head and consist of a series of joints varying from one or two to a large number and of many different shapes they are of the greatest importance to the insect as organs of touch by means of sensory bristles connected with underlying nerve fibers and also in connection with the sense of smell of hearing in insects very little is securely known further the head carries three pairs of mouth appendages homologous with legs which are variously transformed for different modes of feeding biting or sucking it is very interesting to find the same three parts are changed in scores of different ways insect legs the legs which are borne on the three rings or segments of the thorax region show many different peculiarities to suit different habits the front pair is considerably lengthened in certain beetles that climb about on the bark of trees in the mole cricket they are converted into burring implements the terminal joints being arranged as shears for cutting through plant roots the praying mantis and the water scorpion both show the forelegs modified into pincher-like traps for seizing prey usually the middle pair is not greatly modified but in some water bugs like the water boatmen the middle legs are the longest and have become effective oars for rowing on the surface of the water the hind pair of legs of many insects is elongated for jumping as in grasshoppers and locusts and some beetles certain beetles and bees and wasps have a comb or bristle-lined cavity on the leg by means of which they clean their feelers while some butterflies use their feeble front legs to brush off dust from their heads ants are particular about their toilet in the course of the day's work an ant's antenna may become soiled on its first pair of legs it is provided with what we might call brushes and combs as we have described and the ant may be seen to draw its besmeared antenna through this brush and comb arrangement on the forelegs one of the legs will be passed over the head and body its other legs sweeping off every particle of dirt no cat is more fastidious over its toilet ants will even wash and brush each other just as they will exchange greetings as they meet by movements of their antenna the hind legs of bees shows a modification for pollen gathering a broadening of the shin to make a basket into which the pollen is swept by special bristles insects breathing breathing takes place by means of a system of air tubes or trachea which penetrate to every hole and corner of the body trachea arise as inpushings of the skin and the layer of the chitin which lines them is continuous with that which covers the whole body in the larger air tubes this chitin is thickened spirally in threads and this keeps the tubes from collapsing air enters the body by openings spiracles or stigmata occurring on most of the body rings through these spiracles the air is driven out by movements of contraction fresh air passes in passively as the body expands as in birds so in insects expiration is the active part of the breathing process the air tubes fork and refork sending side branches to every corner of the body even to the tips of the feelers so that the whole body is thoroughly aerated 
the extensiveness of the air tube system compensates for the relatively poor blood system in aquatic forms various devices are adopted to secure a supply of oxygen some water insects come to the surface to breathe others like young mayflies have special structures tracheal gills of different types the water beetle dutiscus has its spiracles on its back and when it dives under the water it carries with it in an airtight compartment between its back and its hard wing covers enough air to last for several minutes the bubble of air method is another plan adopted by the whirligig beetles and some water bugs whose covering of fine hairs entraps bubbles of air ensuring a sufficient supply of air about the body for a short time under water in addition to the respiratory system there are inside the body of an insect all the usual organs food canal and associated parts a heart excretory organs reproductive organs and so on some insects are so small that they can creep through the eye of a needle and it is difficult to believe that in such minute dimensions all the ordinary organs are packed away locomotion insects are essentially active and they exhibit various kinds of locomotion many grubs and maggots are quite passive but even limbless larvae though naturally not so active as the leg types have their ways of getting about they may jerk themselves along with the aid of bristles or jaws they may make relatively enormous leaps into the air by taking their tails in their mouths and suddenly letting go or they may swing themselves from place to place by paying out silken lines from their mouths young dragonflies propel themselves through the water by means of the forcible expulsion of water from the end of the food canal insects walk run and jump with the quadrupeds fly with the birds glide with the serpents and swim with the fishes it is often asked how a fly contrives to walk upon smooth perpendicular surfaces and one answer is that a vacuum is made below a little soft pad which is present on the foot another explanation is that there seems to be a slight exudation of a haze of moisture from the foot beetles which have relatively strong legs very different from the weak legs of a butterfly can run with considerable speed while many insects one has only to think of a flea or a grasshopper are preeminently leapers the most primitive insects the springtails and bristletails are entirely wingless but a springtail is an expert jumper it has at the end of the body an effective leaping apparatus consisting of two elongated prongs which are bent under the abdomen and pressed down affording such a leverage when the retaining catch is released that the insect springs forward a relatively long distance compared with the size of its body from great leaps to the beginnings of flight is an understandable step in progress and most insects are flyers there are many patterns of wing but essentially they are lightly built mere flattened sacks of skin often transparent and fragile but beating the air with an extraordinarily rapid motion it has been calculated the fly makes three hundred thirty wing strokes in a second a humble bee two forty a wasp one ten a dragonfly twenty eight and a butterfly nine the rapidity of the movement produces a hum or buzz bees and wasps have two pairs of membrous wings but the fore wing and the hind wing on each side act as a single organ for the hind wing has a row of minute hooklets which fit into the curled over posterior edge of the fore wing and lock the two wings together in dragonflies the two wings are not attached but the two pairs are coordinated by the action of very strong muscles and the larger dragonflies are excellent flyers they are probably helped in steering by the weight of their bodies the lightness of most insects being against good steering as they are liable to be blown about by the wind whatever the pattern of wing or the speed of the wing beats the total distance insects can fly is not great they seldom wander far afield some insects literally fly but once a mayfly may rise at noon from the water that cradled it and by sundown its aerial dance of love may be over and its lifeless body be floating on the surface of the pool
Section 2. Instincts and Intelligence. Insects are largely creatures of instinct, with inborn capacities for doing apparently clever things, but yet with some degree of intelligence. In an animal's behavior there is often, no doubt, a mingling of different kinds of activities unified in a way that baffles analysis. In many cases their behavior under new conditions, their powers of effectively meeting new ends, go beyond mere instinct. What are we to say of the following? The tailor ants, common in warm countries, make a shelter by drawing leaves together, and their cooperative hauling is admirable. Their mandibles are their needles, if you like, but they have nothing to fix the leaves with. What does each do but take a larva in its mouth so that the silk secreted from the offspring serves as an adhesive gum? The tailor ants nest in trees, and they sometimes find it difficult to bring two rather distant leaves close enough together to be sewn. Then, as Bunyan relates, they have a course to a perfectly extraordinary cooperation. Five or six will form a living chain to bridge the gap. The waist of A is gripped in the mandibles of B, who in turn is gripped by C, and so on, a notable gymnastic feat. Time does not appear to be of much account, but they work definitely towards a result, and many chains work together for hours on end, trying to draw two leaves close to one another. We could not have a better instance of social cooperation. An eyewitness, Mr. L. G. Gilpin Brown, writes from Ceylon, Sometimes one will see an ant with a larva on its mandibles stalking aimlessly about on the outside of the nest. It stumbles on a small hole. It proceeds to study that hole, walks all round it, walks over it, and eventually decides that it really is a hole, whereupon it proceeds to business. Feeling around the edge with its antenna, it dumps the head of the larva on one side so as to fasten the thread of silk there, moves over and fastens it down on the other side, comes back again, and so on, each trip leaving a thread of silk behind until the hole is completely sealed up. A common harvesting ant of South Europe collects seeds of clover-like plant, lets them begin to sprout so that the tough envelopes are burst, exposes them to the sun so that the germination does not go too far, takes them back underground and chews them into dough, and finally makes this into little biscuits which are dried in the sun and stored for winter use. What a brilliant idea! And yet it cannot be that. It's suggested by the semi-domestication of green flies by a certain species of ants. And what should we say of the slaves which others bluff into service? Many white ants or termites grow highly nutritious molds in extensive, specially constructed beds of chewed wood, and some of the true ants show a similar habit. On the wayside plants in early summer, we see everywhere the frothy masses called cuckoo spit, each made by a larval frog hopper, which whips a little sugary sap, a little ferment, and a little wax into a strange persistent foam, protective against enemies and against the heat of the sun, the creature literally saving its life by blowing soap bubbles. Not far off, on a bare sandy patch, are the deep shafts sunk by the grubs of the beautiful green tiger beetle. The grub, with quaint somersault movements inside the shaft, thrusts the loose earth with great force into the walls and beats them smooth. Eventually it fixes itself near the top of the shaft so that the roof of its head forms a trapdoor. When an ant or some other small insect settles down on this living lid, the grub suddenly explodes like a jack-in-the-box, hurling its victim violently against the hard upper edge of the shaft wall. The sucked body is afterwards jerked out. The world is full of these inventions. How are we to understand the behavior of one of the digger wasps which lays its eggs in a sunk shaft and provisions this with paralyzed caterpillars. 
while the hunting and storing are in progress the wasp shuts the mouth of the shaft after each visit but it does so in a rough and ready fashion when the larder is full however it seals the entrance with earth and makes a neat job of it nay it takes a minute pebble in its jaws and beats the earth smooth who said animals could not use tools it seems that using the pebble is not part of the instinctive routine but is an individual touch probably with more vivid awareness than is associated with the rest of the agency but the difficulty is to think of the origin of either the routine or the finishing touch without postulating intelligence or at least some appreciation of significance homing it is well known that ants and bees can find their way home from a distance ants evidently take impressions by touch sight or sense of smell of certain signposts there may even be a muscular memory of the movements affected and of the amount of work done probably ants improve gradually in their wayfinding as they learn to make use of a combination of various hints an interesting experiment suggested that bees build up a knowledge of the country round about the hive professor young of geneva took twenty bees from a hive near the lake and liberated them at a distance of six kilometers in the country seventeen returned to the hive some within an hour next day the successful seventeen were taken on a boat to a distance of three kilometers on the lake when liberated they flew off in all directions but apparently they missed the necessary signposts for none of them found their way home on the other hand experiments have given results that indicate that bees have a sense of direction comparable to that of carrier pigeons even bees with their eyes obscured have been known to make a bee line for the hive from considerable distances but there is no doubt that bees make cautious and systematical trial flights of orientation when a hive is placed in a new position intelligent behavior an outstanding feature of ants is that of instinctive socialization they do not live unto themselves but for the general good of the community they are indefatigable but whether they toil consciously for the sake of anything or what we are to read in their capacity for unified action who shall say it is difficult to accept the opinion of some naturalists that instinctive behavior is unaccompanied by any awareness of the meaning or feeling of the end whenever this difficulty is obvious it is customary to say that intelligence has for the time being taken the reins in any case the facts are wonderful enough it is among the social insects that the most pronounced evidences of intelligence are found intelligence is an eminently social faculty as kropotkin says language imitation and accumulated experience are so many elements of growing intelligence of which the unsociable animal is deprived therefore we find at the top of each class of animals the ants the parrots and the monkeys all combining the greatest sociability with the highest development of intelligence the fittest are thus the most sociable animals and sociability appears as a chief factor of evolution both directly by securing the well-being of the species while diminishing the waste of energy and indirectly by favoring the growth of intelligence mutual help is practiced extensively among insects of various kinds the burying beetles which usually lead a solitary life call to their aid a number of their fellows when there is a corpse to be buried many caterpillars weave a silken web to make a shelter for a whole brood while the full-grown procession caterpillars march together from their feeding ground on the trees to a soft place on the ground where they can bury themselves and become moths locusts display gregarious habits also which are of mutual advantage for instance it is a common practice for the wingless young to make a living bridge over a moderately broad stream plunging into the water and grappling for sticks and straws 
and scrambling for breathing space on their comrades' bodies, till the whole swarm passes across the stream. Comparatively few are drowned, as the same individuals are seldom in the water the whole time. Such associations for mutual aid suggest the beginnings of societies, but they are not nearly so highly evolved as those seen among the termites, ants, bees, and wasps, where the social habits extend to the welfare of the young, and cooperation reaches a high level. Kropotkin says, If we knew no other facts from animal life than what we know about the ants and the termites, we already might safely conclude that mutual aid, which leads to mutual confidence, the first condition of courage, and the individual initiative, the first condition for intellectual progress, are two factors infinitely more important than mutual struggle in the evolution of the animal kingdom. The fact is that the struggle for existence, which includes all the answers back that living creatures make to environing difficulties and limitations, sociology pays just as well as intensified competition, or, it may be, pays better. End of section 18